Good morning, church. Good to see you all. Man, love seeing good fellowship. All right, Galatians chapter 4, we're starting in verse 21. Let's, let's read through it. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you, you who are not in labor. Because the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now, you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Galatians. Galatians is a, a letter for recovering legalists. Galatians is a letter for recovering legalists. John Stotwell said, there are many such today. They are not, of course, the Jews or Judaizers to whom Paul was writing about, but people whose religion is legalistic, who imagine that the way to God is by the observance of certain rules. Friends, this, this letter was written to folks like me and like you. If you have trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, then, then God the Father has declared you to be not guilty before him. He, is, he has declared you, uh, he has justified you by grace. But, and yet, we all still struggle and wrestle with our old sinful tendencies and, and, and habits, and, and, and one of which is legalism. Legalism is any attempt to gain acceptance or forgiveness from God through one's own efforts or merits. Or, or to say it another way, a legalist believes that what God does for them is dependent on what they do for God. It's a meritorious system and a graceless religion. It's, it's, a, useful and, it's a useless and cruel system. Legalism is like a, a treadmill. You can jump on it and run as hard and as fast and as long as you want, and in the end, you've gotten no further than when you started. The, the standards that are set up to earn acceptance or forgiveness with God are, are human standards to be met in human strength. And these standards, they're, they're, always, they're always subjective, different from person to person. And no legalist can truly be assured that they're living up to the standards. And these standards always miss the mark of God's standard, his holiness. And we know this, and yet we are all tempted to 
as it were, sneakily smuggle in our practices, our preferences, and our performance into the faith alone equation in order to earn or even maintain God's favor, blessing, forgiveness, or acceptance. And so, friends, in God's kindness, we have this passage in our Bibles to address former legalists who are still struggling with legalism at times. The main point of our passage this morning is children of God, born by faith in the promise and power of God, are called to get rid of legalism and stand firm in their freedom obtained by Jesus. Paul's got a strategic outline here. You'll see it in your handout. We have an argument in verses 21 through 27, and then the application in verses 28 through 5-1. All right, let's get into it. An argument. Let's reread verses 21 through 27. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born according through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, because the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. So here's Paul's argument. In order to be a child of Abraham, a child, a free child of God, we must trust only in the promise and power of God to save us in Christ Jesus. And so there were, there were Jews in Paul's day um, these Judaizers would represent some, these Judaizers who had, who had infiltrated the, the church in Galatia. So there, there, were, there, was, there was Jews in Paul's day who accepted Jesus as their Messiah, but believed that to benefit from the salvation that their Jewish Messiah offered, one needed to be Jewish or become in one sense Jewish themselves by adhering to certain Jewish customs and practices, like like circumcision, or early in this chapter, Paul noted like calendar systems and stuff like that. These are, these are forms of legalism. Well, the Galatians bought the lie of legalism hook, line, and sinker. And Paul desperately, desperately wants them. He wants us to see that human efforts produce human results that do not actually accomplish anything Versus the Spirit's work. By faith in the promise and power of God produces supernatural results. So Paul's approach to kind of snap them out of their, their legalism is to show them that they have misunderstood and misapplied Scripture. Verse 21, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? So there's two different laws that are mentioned in this verse. The first one is in reference to the Mosaic law. 
And the second is in reference to the Torah, the first five books. This, this second reference, the second usage of the law is actually fairly common in the New Testament. You'll see in your notes, I gave you some examples you can look at later of how the New Testament will speak about the first five books by saying the law. And we know that's what Paul is doing here because he goes on not to mention the Mosaic law, but to mention a, a historical account within the first five books. Now, listen, the Galatians are attempting to diligently adhere to Scripture. And that's good. But because they do not rightly understand it, they misapply it. Now, now, now hear me, because this is instructive for us too. If we do not understand our Bible, then we too will misapply it and the results can be dangerous. And so friends, I want to encourage you that, that we need to continue. I need to continue. We need to continue to, to dig deep into our Bibles and, and, and learn it and understand it so we can rightly apply it. Because friends, if we don't, the, the, the results are going to be dangerous for us too. Friends, we, we, need to, we need to dig deep. We need to understand our, our Bibles better. We need to grow in this. We need to, we need to understand its, its redemptive storyline that, that, that puts all the pieces together in Christ Jesus. Guys, we need to understand how God's grace is supposed to operate in our lives, empowering us to obey. And, and the reason is just so that we can steer clear of man-centered theology like legalism. All right, so Paul takes them back to Scripture. Verse 22, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. So this is the account in Genesis of Abraham and his two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. Isaac was born to Sarah and Ishmael to Hagar. Here's the account. God promised to give Abraham innumerable descendants, and that despite his wife being barren, and Abraham believed that the Lord would do this. Now, like all of us, Abraham and Sarah believed the Lord, and they struggled. Come on, church, we get this. They believed. It's like the man in Mark. I, I believe, help my unbelief. They believed and yet they, they struggled. They had never been able to conceive children naturally. They believed and yet they, they struggled for patience and faith. And faith. When they're struggle and desperation for a child, they, they take matters, as it were, into their own hands. And in Genesis 16, 2, Sarah says, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. So the servant is an Egyptian woman named Hagar, and she conceives and gives birth to a son named Ishmael. And Ishmael, Paul says, shows the result. It's the, it's the fruit. It's representative of the fruit of trying to receive the promise and blessing of God by human efforts. See, legalism. Now, years later, God comes back to Abraham to confirm his covenant. And in Genesis 17, 16, God says, I will bless Sarah. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. Well, in Abraham's struggle, in his unbelief, in hearing that, he falls on his face and he laughs. 
And what's more, he starts to implore God to please take, take, will you not accept Ishmael, my, my son? Parenthetically, not, not born according to faith, born according to my efforts. Take Ishmael, please take Ishmael as the child that you will establish your covenant with. But God says in Genesis 17, 19, no. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. And listen, because of God's promise, because of God's faithfulness, and because of God's power, despite all expectations, Genesis 21, 1 says, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, who Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And Isaac, Paul says, shows the result of the Spirit's work through God's promise and power. One commentator well says, there was a fundamental spiritual difference between the two sons. One son was born by proxy, the other by promise. One came by works, the other by faith. One was a slave, the other free. Thus, Ishmael and Isaac represented two entirely different approaches to religion. Law versus grace, flesh versus spirit, self-reliance against divine dependence. Do you ever doubt that you're a child of God? Do, do you ever doubt that, that God loves you and accepts you? If you do, in, in those moments of, of doubt when, when faith is, is weak and patience is elusive, don't take your faith in your own hands and, and, and attempt to earn assurance and acceptance and forgiveness in your own efforts. Human efforts will only produce human results. Friends, in those moments, we must remember and trust in the promise and power of God. We must rest in his work, not our work. Our acceptance now and forever is based on the fulfilled promise of God in Jesus' work on our behalf. In Christ, God has already done all that was necessary to bring us into right relationship with him. Well, Paul wants the Galatians and us to see so much more. Verse 24, now this may be interpreted allegorically. These, these women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. 
Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, because the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. So Paul takes real history and gives it an allegorical, a, a figurative meaning. Paul says that Sarah and Hagar represent two radically different covenants. Here's, here's the paralleling distinctions you have in your notes. It's on the screen as well. Hagar represents the Mosaic covenant that God gave to Moses and his people on Mount Sinai. And, and that was, was given 430 years after he gave the covenant to Abraham, which Sarah represents. So Hagar, who represents those who attempt to earn God's favor through human effort, gives birth to children who are in spiritual slavery. This, this really goes back to something that Paul said earlier in chapter 3. Verse 10 says, All who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. And then verses 21 through 22, If a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Look, the, the law was, was given to God's people so that they would live and look distinct from their neighboring nations. But as it relates to salvation, the law was given not to save, but to expose sin and reveal man's inability to save themselves. And even now, the law is meant to not save, but, but, to, but to lead us, to, to funnel us, as it were, to repentance and to trust in the promise and power of God to save us in Christ Jesus. Sarah represents the far superior Abrahamic covenant, which, which Paul knows is fulfilled in the new covenant in Jesus. Sarah represents those who by faith trust in the power and promise of God to save, and, and, and so she gives birth to the spiritually free children of God. To press this point further in verses 25 and 26, Paul associates Hagar and Sarah with his present-day Jerusalem and what he calls the Jerusalem of above, a spiritual Jerusalem. John Stott captures what Paul is trying to convey, I believe, when he said, the true heirs of God's promise to Abraham are not his children by physical descent, the Jews, but his children by spiritual descent, believers in Jesus, whether Jews or Gentiles. In other words, the Judaizers, because of their legalism, we're more spiritually children of Hagar than of Sarah. Whereas the Gentile Galatians, because of simple faith in Jesus, were more spiritually children of Sarah than of Hagar. As Paul said earlier in his letter, it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. It's those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. 
Paul quotes Isaiah 54, 1 in verse 27 to further the spiritual connection between Sarah and the Galatians. The context of Isaiah, Babylonian exile. And this verse, this, this chapter, chapter 54, was written to give God's true children hope in the midst of the exile. Look, the exile was, was divine punishment, and God's people are feeling the weight of it. And that's the point. They're, they're desolate, they're crushed, they're in despair, and like a, a barren woman, they know they cannot bring about what they desire. And it's in this hopelessness that God speaks a word of hope. He speaks to them of once again flourishing. The children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. In other words, God's got him right where he wants and he makes some sweet promises to him. And he says this, now that you've been brought to the end of yourselves, you're at the place of being willing to rely on my grace to save you and I will and I promise. As one author basically puts it, the strong are too busy relying on themselves. If salvation is by works of the law, then only the fertile will have children. But if salvation is by the promise, then the barren will have children. In other words, if you're reliant on the promise and power of God for salvation alone, then you are true children of the heavenly Jerusalem. I love this little poem. Run, John, and work, the law commands, yet finds me neither feet nor hands. But sweeter news the gospel brings, it bids me fly and lends me wings. Listen, any, any amount of legalism undermines Christ's work let me say it like this. Any amount of legalism in order to gain acceptance with God is to see Christ's work as insufficient and in need of your additional work. The new covenant in Christ Jesus, it is a covenant of grace, not works, and is established in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, the gospel is not what God requires. The gospel is what God provides. The gospel is not a command demanding things we must do. The gospel is a statement of fact declaring things that God has already done. The gospel is not about man's effort. The gospel is about divine accomplishment. And as I said before, the gospel is not a moralistic do. The gospel is a gracious and merciful done. gospel is the amazing news of what Jesus accomplished in his life and his death and his resurrection to satisfy God's wrath against sin and to secure the forgiveness and righteousness that we need to be accepted by the holy God of the universe. So what about you? What, what about us? Are you relying on, on something, anything within yourself? Or are you trusting in the promise and power of God and Jesus to save you? Mm -hmm. 
Friend, if you are trusting in anything other than Jesus' blood and righteousness for your acceptance before God, then to use the language of this passage, Paul would say that you, are, you belong to the earthly Jerusalem and you are a slave to sin. But listen, Paul would, I would invite you to consider Jesus this morning. Consider the gospel of grace and full forgiveness to find acceptance with the God of the universe. Well, Paul so, so desperately wants these dear brothers to snap out of the, of the legalistic trance that they've fallen underneath. You see, he had great hope that they were, in fact, children of promise. And as such, he wants to give them application for living in the good of it. So let's reread verses 28 through 5.1. This brings us to the application. Verse 28, now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. But if there is any doubt, Paul believes the Galatians, like Isaac, are children of promise. And, and flowing out from that reality of who God has made them to be, his children, Paul gives application for them to live in the good of it. Look, there, there's, a, there's a principle here. We've rung this bell before. We're going to ring it every time we get a chance to. There's a principle here that we need to see. First, God saves us. Then he calls us to live in the good of it, to obey. It's never the other way around. We never obey in order to get God to save us. First, God saves us. He frees us. And then as a result, we're called to obey. We could say this very simply. Grace always precedes and empowers obedience. This is the way it always works. Paul's been desperately arguing for the gospel of grace so that they would come to their senses and then live in the good of the gospel. So Paul's got three applications here for living like a child of God. Number one, children of God should expect persecution. Verse 29 says, But just as that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. So the persecution that the Galatians uh, have experienced from the false teachers is likened to the persecution that Isaac, the, the child of promise, experienced from Ishmael, the child according to the flesh. And, and then listen, as, as children of God, we too should expect persecution. Even from those who might seem to be Christian but are actually just religious legalists. And, and, and why? Well, as one author puts it, the gospel is threatening to religious legalists. 
Religious people are very touchy and nervous about their standing with God, and their insecurity makes them hostile to the gospel, which insists that their best deeds are useless before God. The gospel is especially offensive to those who are trusting in their own perceived righteousness in order to be accepted by God. Brothers and sisters, we, we dare not be surprised by persecution, by condemnation, or by receiving legalistic judgmentalism. We should expect it. Application two, children of God are called to toss out legalism. Verse 30 says, but what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit the son uh, with the son of the free woman. So Paul's looking back to the Abrahamic account where after Isaac was persecuted by Ishmael, Sarah told Abraham exactly what we just read. What's more, God also tells Abraham that he should do exactly that, again, because Isaac is the son of promise. Well, well Paul, Paul captures a principle and commands the Galatians, as children of God, to do the same. Toss out legalism. And, and as a child of God... We, too, are, ta- are called to toss out the legalism in our own lives. What's more, like Paul is with the Galatians, we're, we're also to graciously help others to toss out the legalism in their own lives. You, you see, listen to me. <laughs> Hear this. If we think that this problem of legalism is just all out there and the people around us and also not squarely within here, We've missed it. We are blind and, oh, friends, we are going to miss out on the grace of God to repent from our legalism and to receive his forgiveness and to become more like Jesus for our own lapses in legalism. Friends, we, we, we need to see that. We've got the problem right here, too. We need God's help. He wants to offer us help to toss out the legalism in our own lives. Legalism is a terrible taskmaster. And for all the promises that it gives, it's bankrupt. Friends, there's no righteousness to be found in legalism. Only pride when we, when we think we're doing well, sinful pride when we think we're doing well, or shame and despair when we're not. None of us normally set out uh, for legalism. No, no one wakes up and say, today I'm pursuing legalism. That's not the way it works, is it? And, and, and really, honestly, legalism is a little bit more tricky because it's not, it's not normally blatant and, and, and obvious. No, no, you see, most of our legalism subtly occurs when we put our, our personal practices and preferences over and against the biblical principles and then judge others when they're not doing what we're doing. Let's talk about this a bit more. We need to see this. There are many biblical principles where there is freedom for personal practice to be expressed and for the principle to still be obeyed. Let me give you three. Let me give you three. Bible reading, financial stewardship, and taking care of our bodies. There is a basic principle to be obeyed. 
but not a direct command on specifically how it's supposed to be done. Therefore, there's freedom for individual practice. In other words, in other words, be regularly hearing from God in his word. But there's freedom for personal conviction for how we obey that in our personal practice. Maybe for you, it's, it's, it's 20 minutes in, in the morning. Or, or, or for another, it's, it's, it's 10 minutes at lunch. Or for another, it's, it's listening to uh, your, your Bible on your way to work for however long that is. Or, or in the evening when you're going for a walk or a run or you get the idea. Here's where legalism comes in. If I take my personal practice and say that you're not obeying God's word, you're sinning because you're not doing it the Stuart McRae way, then I'm being a legalist. I'm taking my personal practice and putting it over the biblical principle and making my practice law. I'm saying, in other words, if you want to obey God and live in a way pleasing to him, you gotta do it my way. No, 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 no one says that. But, but it's, those, it's those little comments of, of, of disapproval or, or, or condescension. Or that, those, little, those little hints of, of, of shame. When, when, when somebody says that they read the Bible in the morning for a couple of minutes, like, oh, really? Just, just 10 minutes, huh? Hmm. You know, oh. Oh, that's interesting. I, I, it, it's, it's these little comments that, 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 that subtly expressed disapproval in somebody's personal practice, if to suggest that, well, I think there's a more holy way to do that. These little things reveal our legalism and the extra biblical burden that we can put on others. And so we're called to toss out legalism we're not to keep it around as if it's some sort of pet to play with. Legalism is like a, a lion then. At some point, it will devour you. Well, how do we do this? Two things, gonna be brief. With the Spirit's help within us and, and also in the community of believers, we need to identify legalism and then graciously and winsomely confront it. Guys, we, we need to call it what it is. It is sin. But then we must, we must, we must, we must remind ourselves and our fellow brothers and sisters of the gospel of grace and forgiveness. We, we, we desperately need and we're created for, we need faithful brothers and sisters to come alongside of us and help us. And, and we need to help them as well. This is both a precarious and yet glorious task that God has given us grace to do together. Two, the fundamental way that we toss out legalism is through repentance. Guys, it's, it's sin. We need to turn away from legalism and turn to Christ for our righteousness. We must repent for our legalism we must enjoy the grace of repentance and receiving forgiveness for our sin. We must preach the gospel to ourselves and repent of the legalism when it's revealed in our hearts. As children of God, we're called to get rid of legalism and to stand firm in our freedom. 
So application number three. Chapter five, verse one says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. The gospel of graces is the good news of freedom. It's the liberating news that captives who were once held in bondage to sin have been set free in Christ to now live as they ought. Friends, we've been liberated from sin's power. And now through the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit that lives within us, we can live in ways pleasing to God. Oh, friends, there's going to be going to be times where it's going to feel like that persistent pattern of sin still has you in chains. But the, but the truth is, the reality is that you have been set free. Brothers and sisters, we, we don't have to live like slaves to sin any longer. We can live as the free children of God. Now, as a result of our freedom to live as we ought by the Spirit's help, Paul, Paul commands freed people in Christ to stand firm in their freedom and to not submit again to a yoke of slavery. What does this look like? Three things. Quick. First and foremost, to stand firm in our freedom, we must never lose sight of the gospel. Guys, we are, we are prone to wander away from it. And we must, as it were, dig our roots deep within the soil of the gospel so that we will not be moved. We need to, I believe in so doing, we, we, need, to, we need to in an ongoing way celebrate the work of Christ. I don't know about you, but when my, when my heart is growing cold and I'm not celebrating, it's that's often when I'm moving away. We need to be people who are in an ongoing way celebrating the work of Christ and preaching the gospel to ourselves and to others. There is no better news that we can nor will hear than the gospel of Jesus. Second, to stand firm in our freedom means, listen, listen to this, to stand firm in our freedom means that we're able and willing to be suspicious of ourselves and so be willing to humbly receive input and correction. There's some real tangible evidence of standing firm in your freedom. Is that as free people in Jesus, we're not touchy or afraid or crushed to learn that we've fallen short of the glory of God. And that we, once again, need to receive God's grace of repentance and forgiveness. You see, as free people in Jesus, we are both confident in our right standing before him in Christ, that immovable rock. We're confident in that. And we are confident that we are not yet perfect. And as freed people, we can freely and humbly receive input and not get all turned sideways when somebody says, yeah, you've, you've blown it, Stuart. You've sinned. Sure. I'm not yet perfect. I'm confident I stand in Jesus and that God accepts me. But yes, I'm not perfect in my everyday. Thank you. Thank you for that feedback. I'm, I'm grateful for that so I can turn away from those things, turn to Jesus 
and, and by his grace, be more like Jesus. That's, that's what that should look like. And I'm not, not saying I, I do that perfectly, but that is, that is evidence of what it looks like to be the freed people of God. Finally, to stand firm in our freedom means to actively toss out legalism. Paul says, stand firm and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. He's doubling down on this one. We must, with the Spirit's help, intentionally refuse to give in to legalism. Guys, there's grace for these things. God is not leaving us on our own to do these things. He has already claimed us as his own. You are my child. And what's more, God wants to give us help in an ongoing way. There is grace here to do these things. There is grace to... to to walk through persecution in God-honoring ways. There is grace to toss out legalism. There is grace to stand firm in our freedom. That's good news. Well, the rest of this letter, which we'll, we'll get into Sunday, next Sunday, goes into more of what it looks like uh, to live as the freed people in Christ Jesus. Well, let, let's just end. I want to restate. This is the main point of this passage. Hope we all can walk away with this. Children of God born by faith in the promise and power of God, are called to get rid of legalism and stand firm in their freedom obtained by Jesus. Let's pray. God, you are so kind to have preserved this passage so that your children could be, could be convinced of what it is to be a, a child of God. It is it's someone who with simple faith in Jesus, who trusts in the promise and power of God to save them. Thank you for that. And thank you for leaving this passage here and preserving all these many years so that we could know as the freed children, that your free children, that, that we should experience persecution. We shouldn't be blindsided by such things. Father, that we should actively, with your help, get rid of legalism in our lives and with your help to stand firm in the freedom that we get to enjoy because of what Jesus has done. Help us, help us, help us, help us. Please, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.